Let's pray. Father, we would ask you now uh, to teach us as we reflect together uh, another time on this subject of community. And we would ask God that uh, you open our hearts and our minds and give us discernment uh, to discern whether what we say is biblically justified and biblically true. We want to walk into the truth, the way, the truth, and the life, which is Jesus. So be our teacher this morning. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen? Well, if you have uh, been in church much, you've probably heard somebody talk uh, about this subject of community, which we've been on now for three weeks. And um, uh, maybe you've heard somebody say something like, community is good for you. That's what I've actually been saying for uh, the first two weeks of this series. Community is good for you. And I pointed out that there's actually scientific research that backs this up. I mean, the Bible teaches us this, but it just is always kind of a, an interesting curiosity to me how the research that gets done in the areas of psychology and sociology uh, very, very, very often simply discover truths that have been around for a long, long time in the Word of God. There's this Journal of Happiness Studies. It sounds very weird, but it's actually a very serious study. It's published by a group of psychologists who study what makes people experience joy and experience happiness. And they find that time after time, there is one factor that distinguishes happy people from less happy people. And it's not what you would suspect it is. It's not money. It's not intelligence. It's not attractiveness. It's not achievement. It's not how many likes you have on Facebook. The one factor that they find over and over and over that distinguishes happy people from less happy people is the presence of deep, meaningful relationships in their lives. That's what they find over and over and over and over again. That's what makes people experience this thing of satisfaction and this thing of happiness. There's a professor at Harvard, I've mentioned him before, Robert Putnam, who summarizes his research this way. He says, the single most common finding from a half century's research on life satisfaction, not only from the U.S., but around the world, so this is universally true, uh, is that happiness is best predicted by the breadth and the depth of one's social connections. So think about that for a moment. Think about that in relation to your life. Happiness is best predicted by the breadth and depth of one's social connections. And I was thinking about this in my life and how true this has been. I was thinking about times as uh, growing up as a kid, we would move uh, ever so, uh, every once in a while. And um, one time we moved to, from one city in Indiana to another city in Indiana, into Newcastle, Indiana. I was in the seventh grade. I don't know why I remember this. It was just a, it was a big deal. Newcastle was a, a, a smaller city than we had been living in, and I just was kind of nervous about this move. And, uh, and I remember being scared to death, not about my grades, not about teachers, not about classes, not about my academic future. I had just one question in mind. And that was, who is going to be my friend? That was my question. And here's the thing. We don't ever actually grow out of asking that question or experiencing that fear. Uh, I just read this week research done from the Gallup Institute that one of the strongest predictors of job satisfaction in the workplace is whether or not a person has a best friend, that's what they call it, a best friend at work. So again, who is going to be my friend? Now, the reason we ask this question is because community is good for us. In fact, uh, as we'll see in a moment, we were actually made for community. 
having deep, meaningful relationships. If you've been in church much, you've not only heard that community is good for you, you've also heard that community is a God thing. It is something that God designed, that God created. In the story of creation, all the way back in the book of Genesis, we find this really intriguing verse. Uh, if you know the story of Genesis and, and God's creating um, activity, at the end of each day, what does he say? He says, it is, he says, it is good, over and over and over at the end of each day. And that is truly uh, the truth. I mean, walk outside and look at the colors this morning. Is it good or what? I mean, it's as good as it gets. It's absolutely beautiful. You see the genius of God displayed there uh, and the incredible beauty. I mean, it's good, it's good, it's good. And yet, in the picture of God's perfect creation, where there is no sin because sin hasn't happened yet, there's no injustice, there's no pain, we still read in Genesis 2.18 these words, then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. So this is before sin entered the world and we run into something that's not good. In all of the goodness of creation, there is one thing that is not good, and that is aloneness. That is isolation. That is lack of community. And so God creates the woman, and they became the first relationship, the beginning of the first community, the first family. God made us for community. It is something that God designed, and therefore it is good. But there's this other aspect of community, and we're probably a lot less likely to talk about this in, in churches than the, some of the things that we've been talking about so far, and that is that community can be elusive. We don't talk about this a lot in churches. Community can be just plain hard to create or hard to find. Some of you are in a season where it has been difficult to make friends or find connections or feel like you're known or feel like you're loved or feel like you are de developing the kind of relationships that bring a lot of satisfaction. Some of you may have just moved into this area. You've been thinking a lot about old friends and longing to make some new ones. Some of you have been uh, looking for people with whom you can really connect and, and really grow to trust and likewise they you, but you don't seem to have had the time or maybe they haven't had the time and that can be very frustrating. Some of you are just out of a relationship. Maybe some of you are just out of a marriage, and it's painful. And you long to have someone that you could sit down with and talk and pray and process those kinds of difficulties with. It's painful. Some of you are dealing with a struggle, maybe a sin, maybe an addiction. And you're not sure if you can trust anyone uh, enough to share that part of your story. But the burden of carrying that alone is pretty overwhelming. Maybe even sometimes feels like it's killing you. Some of you have a calendar that is so booked up, you want community, but you don't know how to make time for it. And inside, you just sort of feel alone in a whirlwind of activity and busyness. Well, here's the thing about this. Just because you're with people doesn't mean you're in community. Just because you have lots of connections... Just because you have 17,000 friends on Facebook doesn't mean you're actually in community. Community is a good thing, but it's also a somewhat elusive thing. And maybe if you're honest, you feel kind of frustrated, kind of tired of looking for it. Others of you are tired of hearing me talk about it, I know, but um, too bad. In, in churches, sometimes 
We can make community sound good. We can make it sound so amazing, so uh, inspiration or aspirational, but we don't talk much about how hard and elusive it can be to find and to create community. So for our time this morning, I want to do something that's a little bit different. I want to be um, just as down-to-earth and practical on this subject this morning as I can. I want to talk about some how-tos. How can we create community here at Deer Creek Church? And uh, I'm simply going to answer some questions, five different questions uh, regarding how-tos. And the first question is this, how do I find community? That's the first one. Uh, One thing is for sure, you won't find community unless you take action, period. Uh, If you just come to church and sit in the back and critique the message or the music and then get up and leave quickly, you will eventually conclude that this church doesn't know how to do community. It's either too big or it's too small or it's too something, and no one seems to care about you. That's what you'll conclude. You see, to find community, you have to take initiative. You have to introduce yourself. You have to interact with people. You have to ask questions of people. Hi, my name's Dwayne. What's yours? Oh, I see you preach here. What's that like? You do that every week? Or, oh, I see you serve coffee. How long have you been doing that? Well, how long have you been at this church? Why do you like this church? Would you like to catch lunch together sometime? That's the big step. Spending some time with someone. Would you like to come to my home for lunch some Sunday? This is taking initiative. It's an absolute necessity for finding and creating community. If you never take initiative and reach out to people... Don't expect to find community. I want you to take a look at a video. This is by a lady named Jan Hatmaker. She's a popular speaker. Uh, She's a pastor's wife. She's a very down-to-earth kind of interesting lady who makes some great observations on the subject of community. Take a look. This is a book that... uh, that Jen wrote that uh, actually has a great deal of conversation about this subject of of community and the the importance of certain elements in community. Uh, What I love about this, um, the simple ways that she talks about taking initiative. What did she say? Make a hamburger. (laughs) You want to have community? Make a hamburger. Put some food on the table and invite somebody to the trough. Uh, That's what she's saying. And uh, that's where community starts. And that is very true in our culture. It's actually true in every culture, really, in every culture. Inviting someone into your home or inviting someone to meet you at a restaurant and having food together and having that conversation is the first step in taking initiative many, many times. I love the way that Jesus challenged people when they were craving something, when they were hungry for something, when they were desiring something. Jesus challenged them this way. He said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. But I want you to notice that each one of these results hinges on a personal action being taken. Asking, seeking, knocking are all taking personal initiative. And this is especially important in finding community. It's so interesting to me. Time and time again when Jesus would encounter someone, he would say things to them like, what would you have me do for you? He already knew. But he wanted them to take some initiative, to engage in the relationship, to make a request. Um, This personal initiative thing we see over and over and over in the ministry of Jesus. I want you to 
um, if, know that finding community starts with this thing, starts with seeking. Uh, I know this can be uh, seemingly really basic, really simple, but for some of you, God brought you here this morning just to be reminded of this simple, basic truth, and that is you need to take a step. You need to take a risk. You need to make a hamburger. You need to get involved in a life group. That's a step that you can take as well, and I hope you will. Maybe for some of you, too, it's just introducing yourself to some people here on Sunday morning. Maybe that's the step you need to take because you're here, and then boom, you're gone. Maybe you need to hang around the lobby, come a little early, introduce yourself, have a little conversation. If you're an introvert, instead of three, make that one, just one person. That will kind of wear you out just to do that. And I understand that. I, too, am an introvert. So here's the thing. Your experience here at Deer Creek Church is going to be based more on your initiative than on the quality of our programs or our services. And so that's the first question. How do I find community? Well, you, you have to take initiative, number one. Number two, how do I build community? I've been looking for it. I've been taking some steps. I've been reaching out. I've been having conversations. But how do I build it? How do I make community stick? Now, this question can seem, again, like it would just be common sense, but you would be surprised how many really smart, really competent, really educated people can sabotage community before it ever starts to take root. Too often, we approach community from a very self-serving perspective. Our questions are, what can I get out of this? Or what can these people do for me? Or how will this community meet or serve my needs? Or do these people look like the kind of people I want to be friends with? And when we do this, we turn community into a commodity. We become consumers. Uh, community becomes just for me. It's something that I use. It's something I consume. Something that helps me feel better about me. Which, friends, can kill community before it ever gets off the ground or ever begins to take root. To build community, to break through that level of superficial connections, our attention and our questions and our posture must shift from what can I get out of this to what can I give in to this? How can I be a servant here to other people? And that shift can be life-changing for many of us. Some of us are reading the book together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Life Together, uh, there are copies that available out in the lobby, and I highly recommend this book. Bonhoeffer writes about the first practice that we need to bring to community in order to build it. This is what he says. The first service one owes to others in fellowship, that's Christian community, consists in listening to them. Wow. No kidding. Uh, that's so simple. Our main priority in the early formation of community should be to listen well to each other. It's attending to someone else. It's being focused on someone else's story, their questions, their needs, their trials. Bonhoeffer writes this. He says, many people are looking for an ear that will listen. They do not find it among Christians because these Christians are talking when they should be listening. This is the beginning of the death of the spiritual life. Talk, 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 talk. He says, in the end, there is nothing left but spiritual chatter and clerical condensation arrayed in pious words. Wow. Have you uh, ever been around a Christian who just loves to hear themselves talk? 
They love to give advice that you're not asking for, and they love to put on display what they know, and they love to tell you what they are interested in. I was in a group one time, and there was a guy who always had something to say about Scripture, about the Bible, about politics, about religion, to the point where nobody else could get a word in edgewise, and it was obvious it was annoying people in the group, and that went on and on and on until Holly finally told me to shut up. (laughs) You see, to form community, we have to stop making it all about us, you see. When you come into the presence of others, what questions are you asking them? What help are you offering them? What quality of listener are you committed to being? Are you excited about everyone getting to know you and your stories, or are you there to learn about their stories? Do you care about their stories, their struggles, their questions, their perspectives, which might be different than yours? I have a friend who I don't talk to very often, but every time I do talk to him, he says the same thing to me. He says, Dwayne, why don't you catch me up on you first, he says. I, can just pre- I always know he's gonna, that's how the conversation is going to begin. And he he always makes you feel like you really matter. You may not realize this, but Scripture actually teaches us to approach people from this perspective that I'm talking about. Uh, In the New Testament, James, the brother of Jesus, writes these words. He says, everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. Now, where do you suppose James learned this. Good, very good. You were a little slow, a little slow on that. Yeah, that's pretty safe. Yeah. He learned it from his interactions with his own brother growing up with Jesus. Now, remember, Jesus is the guy who always knew what people needed to hear, right? Jesus is the one who always had the truth that people needed for every situation they were in. Jesus is the one who always had the right view on everything. Politics, education, theology, economics, psychology, ethics. Jesus had the right view on everything. And yet Jesus was quick to listen and slow to speak. That's incredible. And that's why James says everyone should be this way. If you want to follow Jesus, your personality may be different than Jesus' personality. Certainly our characters are different than Jesus' characters. Our characters get in the way a lot of times of this. But because we want to become more like Jesus, James says everyone should be this way, should be a listener. It doesn't matter if you're a a leader, an introvert, an extrovert, if you've been in the group the longest, if you feel like you know more, everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak because that's who Jesus is. Now, here's my challenge to you as you relate to others, as you're trying to build community. Try this. Try being an asker of questions. Use questions to get to know people. And then listen when they talk to you and and remember uh, parts of their stories and then ask them about that down the road. And when you do that, you will be creating this thing called community. When you do this, you will also actually find that you have people in your life who want to listen to you. 
They will so appreciate your friendship. They will want to hear your story, and they will want to be with you in your struggles. So how do we build community? Well, one of the key ways is through listening, using our ears. It's leaning into these relationships and being attentive. We start with a posture of attending to others, and that leads to our third how-to question. How do I deepen community? One of the most common statements I hear expressed from people in life groups is a real simple one. Folks will say, man, I just wish things would go deeper. How do we go deeper? How do we have more significant conversations and closer connections and build trust? And so some of you uh, are in a life group and you meet regularly with others and you have spiritual conversations, but you're just longing for things to go to a deeper place. And you ask, you know, how do we actually go deeper together? Well, I can tell you, I've been in community groups for many, many, many years where we've tried a number of different things to help relationships go deeper. We've changed the way we study scripture, try to get more people in the conversation. We've read different books together. We've tried different uh, curriculums. We've even tried eating together. All of these things can be helpful. They can be valuable. But there is one thing that stands out that helps groups go deeper more than anything else. One thing. Bonhoeffer calls it active helpfulness. Active helpfulness. If you want depth in your community, you actively need to help each other. He defines it this way. He says, active helpfulness, it's the simple assistance in trifling external matters. Not necessarily big stuff, trifling external matters. And that's not the answer we're looking for, really, when we ask this question or we make this voice this complaint, I wish things would go deeper. What we want depth to be about is deep moments of spiritual epiphany. You know, when we open our Bibles and somebody preferably myself, gets to share a deep insight that radically transforms everyone's life. I mean, that's the kind of depth we're looking for, not this garbage about having to help people, you see. Bonhoeffer, Bonhoeffer says, no, if you want deep community, just be there for people. Show up even when it seems insignificant. Someone needs a ride to the airport, Someone needs a last-minute favor. Somebody needs a babysitter. You see, the way we bring depth into community is not by our attempts to go deeper. The way we bring depth is by showing up and helping out again and again and again and again in each other's lives. Depth of community in a group will not come because of the demographics of the group or what the study plan is or what the curriculum is, what creates real community is showing up, helping out, and being involved in each other's lives. Here's the thing. We live in a culture where we worship our time. I mean, our time is very precious to us. We treasure it. And so often we don't go out of the way for others because we are too busy or our calendar is just booked. And the price we pay is the long-term loss of community. Let me ask you. The man that Jesus talks about in Luke chapter 10, he's a Jewish man. He was uh, making a trip. He was on his way down to Jericho. And on his way, he gets robbed and beaten and stripped of his clothes. He gets left behind for being dead. What kind of community do you think he had with the priest that came and passed him by and left him? Or the Levite who then came and passed him by and left him? What kind of community do you think he had with the Samaritan man who came by with his donkey, picked him up, bandaged his wounds, put him on the donkey, took him to an inn, took care of him, paid his medical bills, and then checked in on him later on a return trip? Do you think that after that they had some pretty good community? 
I'll bet they did. Even across the, the ethnic barriers and boundaries that existed between Jews and Samaritans. Why? Well, it's because of what Bonhoeffer's talking about, this thing of active helpfulness. Helping one another is how we grow the roots of deeper community. There's really no easy way around this. This is just what it requires. This kind of involvement in each other's lives. Let me mention number four. How do I preserve my community? And this is an interesting one to me. For some of you, you have a, a really good community thing going. Some of you are in a life group and you meet together and you know each other's stories. You can finish each other's sentences. You study scripture together. You pray together. Great stuff is going on. In fact, you deserve to be in the life group hall of fame. And some of you are blessed with that. And when you get into seasons like that, they can be so good that we then become kind of protective around them. We begin to ask, well, how do I preserve this? I mean, this is such a good thing, we don't want to lose it. And the irony is that when we start asking questions like that, community actually is already at risk. Community has started to become a little bit inward focused, and it can get worse and worse. Uh, the moment that that happens, it's at risk of being us-centered, stale, and even clickish. It's counterintuitive. I know this is counterintuitive. But if you want to preserve the quality of community, you have to disrupt it by inviting others into it. Inviting others in will keep you honest. It will change the stories. I don't mean that you start changing your stories. I mean that it brings new stories into it. It'll give you new problems to solve and new issues to confront, uh, new people to help, new questions to answer, new perspectives that have to be brought to bear in the prayers that are prayed. It's interesting to me when Jesus called his 12 disciples together in the community, never once did he say, now, don't let's mess this up, this relational dynamic that we have going on. Don't ruin our chemistry. We have this great thing going. Don't let anyone else come in here to spoil it. It's quite the opposite. He said, go invite people in. Go make disciples. Go multiply yourselves. Go bring in the wrong people. And Jesus was the best at bringing in the wrong people. We've studied this. Uh, he was constantly pulling somebody into the group that looked like a wrong fit. Oh, here's, uh, we've talked about this. Here's Simon the Zealot. Here's Matthew the tax collector. Let's see how they get along. Puts them in the group together. Women of ill repute. Brings them right into the family. Um, beggars, fishermen. They were a motley crew, a very motley crew. But that's exactly what made the community of the church unique and different than every other community. And that's our challenge as well. That's my challenge. That's your challenge. That's our challenge together. If you've been in the same group with the same people for years and years and years, how are you going to introduce some holy disruption? It could mean bringing in somebody new. That could be what you do. It could mean splitting the group into several different groups if there are capable leaders in it. You know, if you're new here, if you're not sure about this Jesus thing and you're trying to figure it out, trying to discover uh, what Christianity is all about, do us Christians a favor and sign up for a small group. We would love to have you in one of our groups. We need you. We really do need you. That's, that's how you enrich community. New conversations, new questions, new issues, new people. So that's how we preserve uh, and enrich community. Last question. How do I sustain community for the long haul? How do I make community last and last and last? If you're blessed to have created it and to be experiencing it, 
It's easy in our culture to assume that you sustain relationships and community primarily by just getting with people that are exactly like you, okay? Uh, The idea is that community works best for people with common interests, shared hobbies, similar socioeconomic backgrounds, similar lifestyles. You know, we're all single in this group, or we're all married in this group, or we all have kids in this group of a certain age and what have you. Uh, And and truthfully, those can all be helpful connections. We can enjoy and appreciate uh, those kind of commonalities. Sometimes they help us understand how to move through certain seasons of life, you know, when others are going through it as well. But here's the thing. Common interests and shared life experience don't hold community together. It just doesn't. I'll tell you what does. It's forgiveness. That's what holds community together. It's what we do when someone hurts us. It's how we respond when there is tension or brokenness. This is what creates sustainable community. Someone hurts your feelings. Somebody lets you down. Somebody talks about you behind your back. Somebody betrays your trust. In that moment, you think, wow, community has been broken. And you feel it and you know it. And it hurts. And instantly, our broken, sinful response is to want to step away, to put distance between ourselves and that person who broke the community. And I want to protect myself. I don't want to see this person or talk to this person. And in that moment, we believe that because of sin, because of that action, because of that hurt, community has been crushed. Community has been broken. And that's not really true. Community is actually just being tested if we're talking about Christian community. You see, actually, this sin or this tension or this difficulty that has occurred is really just an opportunity for community to actually flourish and be what it's supposed to be. The very moment where community is broken is actually the moment where community can also start to be rebuilt. Uh, This is very important. We, We live in a world where social connections and acquaintances and having fun together and and commonality can feel like real community. But then something happens. Somebody gets their feelings hurt or somebody walks away or we divide up whatever. And suddenly we want all kinds of distance. I don't want to see that person anymore. I don't want to have anything to do with that person. And there's division and distance and cold shoulders and so. And that is wrong in the context of Christian community. The very moment where community is broken is actually the moment where community can be rebuilt. And the rebuilt community is what we were made for. The rebuilt community is the community that we actually desire deep, deep down. It's what we long for. It's trying to fix it. Trying to reconcile it. It's not through avoiding sin and hurts and wrongs. You rebuild community through, number one, owning your own sin. Yeah, I didn't get it all right. Yes, I know I hurt you. Uh, I said something behind your back. Or I told a lie. It's, It's owning your own sin is where reconciliation begins. And then secondly... It's forgiving those individuals who have hurt you. It's it's both of those things. And this really is the foundation, the basis upon, you know, that's the only way we can sustain long-term community. Bonhoeffer describes it this way. Uh, He says, here in that moment of sin or pain, whatever breaks fellowship, he says, the Christian suffers the rupture of his fellowship with the other person that has had its basis in Jesus Christ. But here, too, it is only in bearing with him that the great grace of God becomes wholly plain. 
That's a fantastic statement. The great grace of God becomes holy plain. You see, it's not when things are going smooth that the Christian community gets to demonstrate God's great grace. Obviously, it's when things are painful. It's when relationships feel broken that the great grace of God can be demonstrated in our lives. If you've ever been uh, in a marriage, then you must know something about this. Uh, if you know my wife, you know how loving and forgiving I've been. <laughs> I'm going to change that in the second service because she'll be here. But the, uh, <laughs> I'm also smart, yeah. <laughs> no, but the, the, the truth is, how many times Holly and I will have been married 40 years next, next June? Next June, pretty sure. I mean, man, how do you think we stuck it out together? Well, no, no, I mean, no, we're not there yet. Wait and see. Just wait and see, okay? We're thinking we're going to make it. But, but the, I mean, the point is, there have been so many times she's had to forgive me. I, I mean, I did wrong. I blew it. I broke it. And vice versa. And, you know, there's just no other way to sustain meaningful, deep community than to go to this place of forgiveness. And it's at those painful times and places where things are broken that the great grace of God can be demonstrated in our lives. And it, that's one of the key things that the community of Jesus is supposed to be able to demonstrate, the great grace of God. Um, so question, this raises a question. Um, it's usually the case for most of us, um, much of the time, that there's somebody that Jesus would want us to forgive. So who does Jesus want you to forgive? Somebody that hurt you? Uh, somebody that maybe said unkind things about you? Um, somebody that maybe avoided you, maybe didn't do something that you expected or wanted them to do. You know, our first instinct is that when things like that happen is to think, well, community there is over. I'm done with that. But when you buy that lie, then there's this distance, there's this avoidance thing, there's this cold, estranged politeness. Community is at risk. And the only way to sustain or to restore community whether it's in a friendship or whether it's in a marriage, whether it's in a family, whether it's in a life group, is through forgiveness. Through bearing the burden of someone else's sin and through forgiving. Now, there's a good question. Why would you do that? <laughs> Why? Why would we do this? Because... Uh, you know, th this is, can be painful to, to forgive. It can be painful to go through the process of reconciliation. Well, the reason we would do it is this is precisely what God has done for us. That's the only reason. Only reason. He didn't let your sin or my sin create distance that was insurmountable. He took the initiative. He bore our sins upon himself, upon the cross. I, I love how the Apostle Paul puts these two things together when he writes to the church at Colossae. He says, bear with each other. And forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. I, and, and the fact there is that he, he assumes there are going to be grievances. He doesn't say you shouldn't have any grievances. No, there, there can be hurt in relationships where there really are grievances. But he says, forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. 
Forgive as the Lord forgave you. How challenging is that? He says, just bear with each other. Sometimes that is precisely what loving someone demands, just bearing with one another. And to bear with someone, you have got to be able to forgive them. And so question, is there anything anyone can do to you that you cannot forgive? I mean, there can be some pretty awful things that we do to each other. But in the grand scheme of things, I think the short answer to that question will be, no, there's really nothing that we can't forgive. I mean, you know, forgive with Jesus' strength and Jesus' power. I mean, we can forgive the same way he forgives us. And we sustain community through the power of forgiveness. That is really the only way. And I don't know what your story is this morning, but I know this about you. I know you want to belong And I know you want to have friends, and I know you want people uh, to like you, and I know you want to be included. I know you want community. I know that about you. And I also know that there is a God who did not leave us in our aloneness. I know there is a God for whom community with us was never elusive. In fact, it was something that so troubled him, the brokenness of community, that he sent his son, Jesus Christ. And I just want to encourage you and challenge you today. You don't have to... Be alone. God has done something to open the door for relationship with you. You can have a connection, a direct connection to God Almighty through his son, Jesus Christ, who loves you, who died for you, who rose again from the dead to give you life. And then what is more, he made this weirdo community called the church. It's us. And we're supposed to be like Jesus in offering community one to another and to those out there. And so, you know, we don't need to be alone. So my, my challenge to you is, would you take initiative? Would you take the next step, whatever that is for you? And as I said, for some, it could be just introducing yourself to some people in the lobby. For others, uh, you might be feeling a little convicted that you've kind of looked at this community thing, this connection thing, Uh, in somewhat of a consumeristic mindset. So you need to change that mindset and start caring more about the people out there and asking the questions that would create a context for relationship to be developed. Some of you just need to own your own sin and ask for forgiveness. I'll be right down here afterwards, and those of you who have sinned against me, I'll I'll offer forgiveness, and you'll want to meet me down here and and apologize. But, uh, But, I mean, you know, we can chuckle. But the truth is, there are people in this room right here where we've offended each other. We've managed to do that. And we have let distance get between us, and that does not honor Jesus. Simple repentance. Hey, I'm sorry. There's even, we're all capable of this. We've, we've sinned against each other. We don't even know it. You know how that works? And that's why Jesus says, if you're ever at the altar and you, you have a brother or sister who has sinned against you, go to them, you know, have that conversation. And, and don't be shocked if they don't know they didn't, they, that, that they sinned against you. Don't, don't be shocked. They didn't mean to. They didn't know it. They're, they're you know, and I, this has happened to me so many times where some of you have come to me and, and shared with me how I offended you in some way. And I didn't know it. Um, I I can be adult in this area. But, you know, it's having that conversation with each other. Uh, And then for others of you, your next step would be to get in a life group. I do know this. The next step for all of you is to fill out that card uh, and indicate that you're in one or not in one, and you can create your own checkbox. Don't want to be in one. Don't ask me about it again. You can do that if you want. But uh, So... 
there you go. Very practical, practical discussion and I hope challenge to you in this area of community. Good enough? Pray with me. Uh, Jesus, help us take next steps. We need you this week to walk with us as we do that, as we move more deeply into community, into relationships, into forgiveness, into invitation, into being there for each other. We need you this week to give us the courage and the strength to do whatever it is you would call us to do. It could be difficult conversations, God, with each other. And we thank you, Jesus, that you initiated relationship with us. You went to the cross. You laid down your life. And then you say to us, come follow me. Put your faith in me, you say. We thank you for drawing near to us and for bearing our sins and for bearing with us. May we in turn, Lord, learn to bear with one another. 